Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Uh, I'm David Chen, and, you know, usually I introduce the guys, and, and we were totally expecting that it was just going to be me and Jeff Kanata today, but emerging from the bowels of parenthood, Devendra Hardware is back today. Devendra, how are you doing, man? Hello, I'm back, and uh, <laughs> I'm surviving. It's, uh, it's everything you said it would be, Jeff. It is yeah. very tiring, very crazy. <laughs> Um, I, we're 12, 13 days in now with this baby and I think we'll keep her. She's pretty cool. Uh, well, I like, you know, don't decide too bit. soon. Don't decide too quickly. There's still, I think there's yeah. a 30 day return policy. So if you're only 12 in, you you know, oh. <laughs> you get an exchange. Yeah. So uh, Devendra, Devendra had a baby last week, uh, and it sounds like everything went smoothly, right? No. Yeah. 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 It was a pretty crazy process. Um, yeah, the whole labor and everything was pretty smooth and now, the tough part is just like, you know, trying to take care of a baby forever. I likened it to the uh, the Battlestar Galactica episode 33, where every 33 minutes, the silence yes. came. You just had to deal with it. You couldn't sleep. Um, and with the baby, it's basically every two to three hours. Like, that's so good. Same thing. Same that's thing, so that's a, such a great analogy. I love yeah, that. It's crazy. And, and it, you feel just the same sense of dread and foreboding. <laughs> <laughs> uh Devendra, I don't know how much you want to say about this, but I feel like we recorded an episode Mm -hmm. and you were like, yeah, we're doing two days. And like hours after the episode recorded, you're like, we had the baby. I don't know where it must have been the the quickest labor ever. It was was, crazy. uh, It was pretty fast. Uh, It turns out. So after the episode we had recorded last, I forget which movie that was. um, A couple hours later, my wife's like, yeah, we should probably go to the hospital now. So the baby waited. For the show to end, and I really appreciate her for that. That's very considerate of her. Yeah, yeah. It was like hours after that episode. Like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. crazy. I couldn't believe it. I told my wife, I was like, "It's any day now." And then, like an hour later, I was like, "It's there's there's a it's picture now. of her. Here she is." <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. <laughs> your your <laughs> evening had already peaked with that episode of the podcast, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, more crazy things are yes. on the way." You know, my worst fear was a uh, baby would you know want to be born in the middle of the night, and that's exactly what happened. So we had to rush to the hospital with no sleep or anything, and just like you know, try to suffer through that whole process. But it was uh, good overall. It's it's an insane experience. Was there anything that kind of surprised you about the process, or that you weren't anticipating, and that happened, or? Um... No, I mean honestly, I know for some people we were lucky. I think our whole labor process we got in around three thirty a.m. and the baby was born around eleven forty nine a.m. And between that, that seems like a long time. But while you're waiting in the hospital, it's actually not that bad. And the actual time, uh, our doctor was just super great. And he, he made my wife, like, just make it very easy for her to get the baby out. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful for that. The entire experience for us was pretty good. I know for a lot of folks, uh, it's it's much harder. So, yeah, props to and them, too. for me, the most disorienting thing was, like, the day to two days afterward where you're still mm-hmm. in the hospital. I don't know how long you guys stayed in the hospital, but it felt like such a disorienting time. And you've got this new thing that's in the room with you. How, how did you how did you feel about that part of it? It was it was pretty crazy. So uh, we had a room, but luckily our hospital is only like 15 minutes away from my house. Oh, good. So it actually made more sense. Uh, my wife's mom wanted to, like, stick around the first night. So they stayed together with the baby. I came back and took care of the cats and just went back and, you know. Went, did the back and forth a bit, and that helped out too because it was just easier for my wife to be there with if nobody else was sleeping in the room with her too. So right. it all kind of worked out in a good way. Yeah. Well, Devendra, so glad okay. that uh, you know everything went smoothly and that uh, the baby and the mom are doing well. 
And yeah, Devendra pings me the other day. Like we, had, I had expected Devendra to be out for uh, a month. You know, to, to be out for a few weeks. Yeah. But I'm out of my real job for a month. But, yeah, but, you know, this is just fun. It's fun times. Yeah, I mean, but just like uh, just like my feeling, you know, Devendra just doesn't know how to quit this show. And uh, and so he pinged me the other day, and he's like, uh, "Hey, uh, what are you what are you reviewing this week?" <laughs> you know. And uh, so now uh, tonight on the slash filmcast, we're going to be discussing some what we've been watching, uh, and then we are going to do a double review. And uh, last week we said we would review the Old Man and the Gun, the new David Lowry movie starring Robert Redford. We are going to be reviewing that movie, but before that. We're going to cram in a review of a Netflix film that you can see right now. It's called Private Life. It's a new film by Tamara Jenkins starring Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I basically just, you know, I was talking with Jeff prior to the show and said, hey, um, you know, maybe we should watch something else in addition to Old Man and the Gun. Maybe we could talk about it during what we've been watching or something. Um, but we all just saw Private Life, uh, so we're all going to do a review of it. You can watch it right now on Netflix uh, and then come back and listen to this episode if you want. Uh, but, yeah, that's what we got on tap for you today. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. The other so, thing we should we should mention, Dave, to, uh, to Devendra since he wasn't here last week is mm-hmm. that – um, we are no longer a film podcast. Uh, ah. Now we are officially a limerick podcast with occasional film information. Uh, what did opinion. you do? What did you guys do? Yeah, there were a uh, lot of changes. There were a lot of changes. <laughs> we are now we are now full on limericks, uh, uh-huh. and um, I am armed with my limericks tonight. I hope Dave. I hope you oh, have are as well. Are you serious? Uh, did you seriously make limericks? Of course, and I what will. What happened? I will for every episode we do from now on. Oh my uh, it, god! It, it is this is the yeah. the change you wanted, and <laughs> this uh, is like and... my worst nightmare. By the way, because there was that limerick meme going around, and uh, you know limericks are fine, but when it becomes a meme thing, like it's too much work to be mm-hmm. a meme. It's it's a it's lot of work. Show. It's a lot of work Man. to do the limerick. So so okay. Uh, but let's... you know what? I've never shied away from hard work, especially for the fans <laughs> who are demanding it. It, the the response has been overwhelming. There are fan limericks, uh, the slash, uh, this the uh, the the um, Slack film cast is is going off with limericks. It is just really Dave Dave single handedly touched I think a nerve in the audience that they've been clamoring <laughs> for, and uh, I'm so glad that Dave has decided this and uh, and really by sheer force of his own will uh, made it. Made it happen, and I, I for one, vow to have a limerick for every episode we do from now on. Uh, okay, well, I'm not. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good at all. I mean, I, I'm also. I share your concern, Devendra. Um, yeah. That that said, uh, we did get some responses to the limerick. So, so Devendra, what happened was when you were, I was out for a couple weeks, and then uh, came back, and I said to Jeff, "Hey, I want to share." Uh, my reactions to some of the movies you guys have talked about, but I want to do it in an amusing and concise way. So I wrote a limerick for every movie I'd seen. Uh, uh, everyone's and, favorite amusing and concise format. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and for, from that, Jeff decided to uh, to make it a part of every week's episode, which which is a completely a voluntary move. By like, I can't stop Jeff from doing it. <laughs> uh, I can stop myself from doing it, but I can't stop Jeff. And so if Jeff is going to do it, then that's oh, fine. Man. That that being said, I did get this email from Gokul. From Auckland, New Zealand, who wrote into slash from castgmail.com. Uh, Gokul wrote in, I enjoyed Dave's limerick, limerick reviews immensely and posted in one of my, the movie Facebook groups I'm in. I asked for members to compose their own and I thought I would share a few of their masterpieces with you. 
uh, as well as one of my own, which isn't great. Uh, so Gokul shares the following limericks. I'm not going to read all of them, but here, here they are. Gokul's limerick is, A movie about Strode's I saw. <laughs> the whole time I sat with clenched jaw. The music was great. Not a thing did I hate. It's a surefire box office draw. All right. See, this, aren't we, aren't we glad yeah. this is the new version yeah. of our show? That's, aren't you guys? This is future film criticism. <laughs> the uh, silence speaks volumes, dead. Jeff. Film track is dead. But film limericks are alive. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you're on the same page, Devendra. I'm glad you uh, get it. Okay. This is this one is from Lauren H W. And uh, I get I guess spoilers for Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, in this limerick, so skip ahead by like 10 seconds or 30 seconds if you don't want to hear spoilers for Avengers Infinity War. Going in, I was worried about Cap, but instead they killed every new chap. The movie was rad, but boy was it sad. I'm emotionally scarred by a snap. Now that's good. Mm. That is good limerick. It's, it's that's not good. bad. It's yeah. not bad. Emotionally uh, scarred by a snap? That's excellent. All right. Well, anyway, th- those are the only two from Gokul's email that I liked. So, uh, but thanks for writing in, uh, and I hope those those help you to understand the true potential, uh, good or bad, of this whole limerick yeah. program that Jeff seems complete hell bent on. Um, anyway, let's let, let's get to the show before we have destroyed any more of our credibility here. What we've been watching this week. Uh, so this week I saw a movie called Apostle on Netflix. You guys heard of this movie, Apostle on Netflix? Mm. Yes. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. In 1905, a drifter on a dangerous mission to rescue his kidnapped sister tangles with a sinister religious cult on an isolated island. Uh, so that plot, uh, the, at least the beginning of it, is very similar to Wicker Man, right? Uh, both versions of Wicker Man. Uh, but I think the the story takes uh, some pretty hard turns away from what Wicker Man did. So don't assume just because you've seen Wicker Man that this movie is the same. Uh, the the thing that's a draw about this movie is that it has amazing acting talent behind it. You got uh, Dan Stevens playing the the, the protagonist. Uh, Michael Sheen shows up as the cult leader, and the, the 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 reason I was motivated to watch this movie primarily is that it's directed by Gareth Evans. It's his mm-hmm. first movie after uh, directing the Raid films, which are some of my favorite action films of all time. And uh, this is a, a big departure for him, right? He's uh, working. Well, this, uh, he did that VHS short, remember? Oh, that's so right. It was also that's... a cult movie, and it sounded like he was working on a bigger idea after that. Yeah, and uh, this movie feels to me from a storytelling perspective to be like much more ambitious than any of those other films we've mentioned. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's an amazing uh, horror film. Like it, it is incredibly disturbing. It's one of those horror films that leaves you really upset. I, I spoke last week about um, The Night Comes For Us. Devinder, you seen The Night Comes For Us yet? Not yet. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that's a movie that there's like action scenes and, and gore that's like super upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this movie, it, it like adds on a layer of psychological horror to the action scenes and gore that's really upsetting. Um, so really, I, I think I'm going to be recovering from this movie for a few weeks. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it really upset me. It, it, uh, unsettled me. The imagery is really evocative. Uh, and, uh, I would recommend it for any fans of horror. I thought it was great. So that's, uh, that's Apostle streaming now on Netflix. This was, a, it was another movie that I had suggested we might watch today instead of Private Life. Mm-hmm. And, um, boy, you could not get more different in terms of the tone of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, th- this is one that I was like, I, you just have to sit and like contemplate the evil of humanity after you watch a movie like this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like people were people have been talking about this, and I was like, really? That uh, Robert Duvall directed thing is really is popping back up on <laughs> streaming yeah, services, huh? Yeah. Uh, no, it is not the Robert the Duvall Apostle. movie. It is um, it is a new movie by Gareth Evans on Netflix and. Boy, it, it's just uh, yeah. There's some there's some set pieces in this movie that are just really impressively shot. Uh, there, there's like a little bit of action in it. I would say there's probably ten to twenty percent as much action in this movie as there is in a raid movie. But when there is action, it's like oh wow, like clearly uh, the same guy did you know the raid and also this movie. Like the action, yeah, he just is, can't help himself. Is very yeah. similar in terms of like the style and in terms of how it's shot, and also in terms of like how the characters are brutally injured and maimed during these scenes, you know? So I think it is a, a, a great piece of horror filmmaking. I'm, I'm, like, weighing whether it should be in my top ten of the year. It's highly enjoyable if you're into that kind of thing. It's very gory, uh, very upsetting. It's Apostle. It's on Netflix right now. That's what I've been watching this week. So, Divindra, what have you been watching uh, in between taking care of your uh, new child? Oh, yeah, a bunch of things. Uh, honestly, taking care of a newborn is a great time to catch up on TV when they're not, like, screaming. Uh, <laughs> and TV is better because it's hard to keep a movie going sometimes because there's there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, but I have been watching The Haunting of Hill House, uh, the new uh, series uh, written and directed by Mike Flanagan, uh, who's a director I really enjoy. He's done a ton of great stuff uh, recently. Um, he did Hush, uh, mm. uh, Oculus. And Annabelle Creation, too, I believe. Um, and these are all Otherwise known I've... as the good Annabelle film. The good Annabelle, yeah. right. The one, like, randomly weird good Annabelle. Um, this is, like, I think the third reboot of this. Uh, it was a novel originally. It's a very famous novel. Uh, there was an older movie, and then there was, like, that terrible 90s movie as well. Uh, Wait, Annabelle Creation of... was directed by uh, David Sandberg, by the way. So David Sandberg. Oh, who are we? I'm thinking of somebody, something else for yeah. Mike Flanagan. Uh, but he, basically, everything Mike Flanagan has touched, uh, I've just genuinely loved. Um, so I'm I'm totally down with that. Um, this, you know, he basically took a very famous haunted house story and just built this like incredible family story around it. Um, I can you could describe the show like. Uh, it feels like parenthood meets hereditary, mm. which is a very strange combination. I know you much you really like uh, parenthood, Jeff. Uh, this is a show with a huge family dynamic. It's it's you know there's uh, I believe five kids involved in the two parents, and the show is as much about their relationship uh, with each other as it is about a crazy haunted house, and um, it's set up in a way. And you think it kind of goes back and forth in time. So we see it reminds me of the way it was constructed or the book, at least. Uh, we see them as children uh, earlier in time living in this house, uh, dealing with some creepy scenarios. And then we're also cutting in time to all those characters as much older you know, adults uh, dealing with the fallout of living in a crazy haunted house. And, you know, at some point, you know, people die and there's a very traumatic event that makes them all leave the house. And most of the show, honestly, is just them dealing with the fallout of this, like the, how this weird, crazy experience has fractured their family. And have to say, this show is fantastic. Uh, just everything about it. Like, it's a great piece of uh, horror filmmaking uh, because I just love the way Mike Flanagan's camera moves around. Uh, you know, there's a lot of creepy scenarios within this giant house. And it, it's the simple things like long, dark hallways 
you know, doors where, you know, something crazy is happening on the other end. Um, there are some occasional jump scares, but I think uh, there are so many situations where he just builds a really unique set piece. Uh, I was reminded of like, uh, what was the other, the Conjuring movie with the nun, the most recent Conjuring, um, where, you know, you could see a set piece is happening, right? Like, well, we're setting this up. This nun is going to jump out as us at some point. But it's the way he does it that's really interesting and unique. So it's a horror show that's really steeped in the genre. Kind of, It's built for people who know what to expect. Uh, it's well-written. Uh, I think all the characters are really well-defined. Um, you know, you can really sense who these characters are from ch- being children uh, to adulthood. And it's genuinely scary. It's genuinely moving. Uh, it's rare to find like a horror uh, movie or series that will honestly make you feel for characters and you potentially even make you cry at times so just have to shout out for this thing uh it is one of the best netflix series i've ever seen if you're into horror if you're into like you know the haunted house format this is just a really intriguing spin on all of that that's the haunting of hill house i gotta tell you a a ton of people at my office at work cannot stop talking about how amazing the show is um so yeah it's it's real good planning to check it out hey uh how many episodes are you in right now I'm about seven or eight episodes, so I haven't finished it, but the most recent episode had this crazy, like, just Mike Flanagan, like, almost like he's showing off at how good he is uh, as a technical filmmaker. Like, it feels like there was a 10 to 15 minute one shot of just people, you know, uh, arguing uh, some scary scenarios, just like, I don't know. As a film fan, it really is technically impressive, too. By the way, uh, Devinder, I think the Mike Flanagan movie you were thinking of earlier was Ouija Origin of Evil. Yes, Ouija, Ouija, yeah. Ouija. Yes. Which is like a uh, apparently was a very good film uh, and a, a better sequel than the predecessor film. Yes, so, uh, I talked about that. And yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been really wanting to watch this, but it's not one that I'm able to talk my wife into watching. Which means I have to sort of find my own time to to watch it. And we tend to watch TV together. Yeah. Is is the horror stuff really intense? I mean, is it something that she really would would bounce off of? Um, it depends. Honestly, like there's a lot of it's a lot of like creepy stuff of just like, oh, this is just a scary person in the back that jumps out. Mm. And then there are things of just like kids being genuinely terrified and kids being put in danger. And I don't know where you are at this point. Like there are Mm. certain scenarios where I'm like, I don't want to watch at this point. Yeah, I I feel kind of weird about little kids like almost dying. Yeah, yeah. that's just me right now. But I'm still we're still working through it. Still good. Cool. Again, that's uh, The Haunting of Hill House. It's on Netflix right now. Devinder, what else have you been watching? Also, Big Mouth. Uh, have you guys watched this or heard of this series? Yeah, I watched, I watched an, yeah, an episode. Yeah. yeah, an episode of Big an Mouth. An episode, recently. yeah. yeah. Um, I, I honestly didn't know this existed up until a couple of weeks ago, but I was looking for like a nice you know, animated thing uh, to chill and watch while I'm taking care of the baby. And I have to say, I, I genuinely love this show. Um, you know, the first couple episodes aren't, that great uh the show itself it's it's about like middle schoolers and high schoolers and them just dealing with uh you know the ravages of puberty and it does this interesting thing where it turns uh, puberty into literal like monster familiars they also hang out and talk with the kids uh it's a show that's like simultaneously very like uh very explicit and very gross and very like uh i don't know like uh, it's it's very like base level humor at times and at the same time, like the characters are great. And I think it's saying some great like it's a very sex positive. It's very like uh, I think it's sending a good message for kids and uh, for teenagers who may have feelings about their bodies and what they're going through. 
Um, so it's weird. It's a show that maybe parents might think it's a little too, maybe a little too mature for their kids, but, uh, it's probably the exact thing they should be watching. Um, the first couple episodes were a little rough, but I think it gets really good. And I'm watching season two now. And it's just like, they've definitely refined the show into something that's genuinely, uh, they can balance the crazy humor and the really, really gross, like really, really like gross humor sometimes, uh, with like genuinely great characters and I think like meaningful messaging. Um, and they're doing things, uh, because this is an animated show on Netflix. Like they can, you know, they can show naked bodies and they can show a lot of things. They can, you know, mimic porn in realistic ways, um, that you probably wouldn't see in most other animated shows. Yeah. Um, I watched it and found it to be, uh, painfully awkward, you know, and, yeah. and in a, yeah. in a way that I felt like na- like the show nails all the ap- apprehension and the awkwardness and the the kind of um, uncertainties and anxieties of that time period of uh, adolescence, and uh, so I thought I thought it was very funny and and uh, enjoyable. But I'm I'm also like you know I already lived through that and I don't know if I need to go through that again. <laughs> you know I don't know if if yeah. uh, I need to re-experience all that. Um, so I, I'm still, like, not sure if I want to continue the show. Just because, yeah, it, it is uncomfortable to watch at times um, sure. because it deals so frankly with uh, these yeah. truths uh, about I, I will up. say it, it's it's also, like, genuinely funny, too, at times. Um, and great voice cast. You're like Nick yeah. Kroll, John Mulaney, uh, Jason Mendoza, who's everywhere now, Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph uh, playing a couple again in another show. It's kind of funny. Um, and Jordan Peele is like in here randomly too. So like a great cast. Like I think there, you know, there's a bit in the show where they did like, um, just like a 30 second, like we're going to do the Seinfeld diner scene. We're going to do a diner scene for 30 seconds. And like, they just hit the cues just right. Like it's, it's exactly them being, you know, uh, all the Seinfeld people. And I think they do that really well. So it, it gets smarter. It gets better. And I think it gets a little less awkward too, which is uh, it makes it less painful to watch as you go on. All right. Uh, well, that's Big Mouth. It's on Netflix. Jeff, did you say you'd seen this? Uh, like you, I watched the first episode, and um, uh, it did not hook me. But I love the talent involved. I'm a big fan yeah. of those guys and um, as creators, and uh, I'm glad to hear it, it. It gets better. I just kind of fell off of it, and it it, it didn't. And there's so much other stuff to watch that I haven't been back to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Big Mouth. It's on Netflix right now. That's what the Avengers have been watching. Jeff Kanata, how about you? What have you been watching this week? Well, I had a chance to see a very early screening of Widows, uh, which is the new Steve McQueen. And um, we, I think, will be doing a full review. It certainly deserves a full review. Uh, So I will just briefly mention that uh, everybody should go see this movie. Uh, (laughs) If it's not on your radar, put it on your radar. Oh, Um, man. It's really good. And um, it's like – if, if someone asked the question like what what would it be like if somebody did a genre movie but with the skill and craftsmanship and talent of like an academy award winning movie you well, know you, you'd get skyfall jeff but also this oh. sounds good too. all right <laughs> yeah. fair enough fair enough oh. uh, i mean I, I guess that's you've answered that that question has been answered a bunch of times in uh, over the years and I, I generally th- like when that happens right so much talent yeah. with like something that maybe we we don't we, we don't spend as much time and talent with yeah yeah, nobody in this movie believes they're in a genre movie. They're all taking it completely seriously, like they're making 
the Godfather. You know, it, it is, uh, it is, it's really excellent, and it, the cast is unbelievable, like wall to wall, amazing performances. So uh, I, I'm very excited to talk in more depth about it later. But uh, yeah, if this isn't on your radar, put it on your. It really wasn't on my radar. I'm a fan of Steve McQueen, but mm-hmm. it. I just peripherally kind of thought it's kind of sounded like a after school special type yeah. of a movie. It's not. It so is you, not. you miss those trailers, Jeff, but I have to say like among the best trailers this year, like mm, wow. something that definitely just like sells, like why you would want to see this movie. Uh, for me, it was like the mission Impossible fallout trailers. And then this one. Well, now I can watch them. That, that is also a uh, trailer that I am skipping because I, I, this is one of my most anticipated films of the year. Yep. So I'm really psyched to check it out. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's Widows, and it's going to be in theaters in just a few weeks. I think the release date is November 16th, so uh, keep an eye out for Widows. Yeah. All righty. Before we get to our review uh, of Private Life, we want to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. A big thanks to Elizabeth Bentley, Jeremy Jensen, and we also received a donation on behalf of Butch McButchface. Mm. Butch McButchface. I'm just going to go on a limb and assume that's not their real name, but who knows? Well, or a very no, no, no. unfortunate I mean, name. I yeah. mean, uh, Devendra, you've just been through this experience mm-hmm. of uh, naming a child is a very difficult thing. And if Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Mitch Book, uh, Mick Butchface <laughs> probably uh, spent a lot of time thinking about what they were going to name baby Mick Butchface. And I think, you know, coming to Butch Mick Butchface is a, is a bold move. Maybe, maybe obvious. Maybe they thought of it. And then kind of veered away from it because they thought that's oh, too obvious. And then they probably then, a family name too. This could be Butch McButch face <laughs> the third. It's, yes, it's so hard yeah. to say. It is hard to say but, for some reason. Butch McButch face. It's a your father was Butch McButch face. Your Butch McButch face and your grandfather is Butch McButch face. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks to uh, all of our donors. Thanks to also subscribers at the rate of $2 uh, per month. Uh, Big thanks to Del, Nakamura, and Cry Queeters. I I think that might be Chris with the S laughed off by accident, but I'm not sure. Chris Queeters? Anyway. That's a cool name. You all know who you are. You all know who you are. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, thank you so much for all of your contributions. We really appreciate it. Um, and if you want to support what we do here on the podcast, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. And uh, you can also go to slashfilm.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. We did get uh, a bunch of emails this week uh, from people that were sharing like how much the podcast has meant to them. Um, some of whom donated, some of who didn't. You know, uh, We would never ask you to donate if it in any way causes a hardship for your life. Um, but, uh, yeah, whether you're listening, leaving a review for us, putting a star rating for us, uh, if you enjoy what we do, anything you do to help, uh, spread the word is greatly appreciated. And of course, thanks to all of our donors this week. You guys are awesome. Uh, let's move on to our review of Private Life. Having a baby is an immoral act. Overpopulation, climate change, rise of neo-fascism. Did you take your Valium? Yes. Why? They're trying a by any means necessary approach. I thought they were done with all that and they were trying to adopt. They're still doing that. They're like fertility junkies. Your best chance for success is with the donor egg. He's out of his mind. There's a lot of positives. Well, it's easy for you to say. You'll have your genetic contribution. And me, I'm just left out. Don't 
even. That was from the trailer for Private Life, uh, the new film by writer-director Tamara Jenkins. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. An author is undergoing multiple fertility therapies to get pregnant, putting her relationship with her husband on edge. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there that uh, Tamara Jenkins uh, is a director who makes one movie roughly every 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote and directed Slums of Beverly Hills. Uh, she wrote and directed uh, The Savages. Savages. Yeah, which um, is amazing. Which is – I actually think The Savages is in my top ten films of all time. It's and an amazing I, movie. I think yeah. like not necessarily because like the filmmaking is uh, is spectacular but because uh, I, I feel like Tamara Jenkins is one of the people that can capture family dynamics in such an accurate and poignant way. Um, to cre- she can create characters who feel – completely authentic and like you know real life people that you've actually met that you kind of can see aspects of yourself and of your friends and of your acquaintances in these people on screen um and of course that particular story the savages has has a lot of um you know it just has a lot of resonance for me personally so i'm a huge fan of tamar jenkins i think people need to be giving her more money to make movies um whenever she wants to make them uh and of course i was very excited to see that she had uh, wrote and directed a new film called Private Life that's available right now on Netflix that anyone can watch. Uh, and so my question for you, let's start with you, Jeff Kanata, is uh, what did you think of this film? Wow. Um, this this film is is uh, incredible. I mean, it is, uh, it's so raw and honest and uh, it, it feels like a glimpse inside the lives of very, very real people. The performances are exquisite uh and i i don't know anything about tomorrow jenkins uh it certainly feels like a film that comes from personal experience i have no idea if that's true but uh katherine hahn who delivers an incredible performance here certainly looks a lot like tamara jenkins so i don't know if there's some autobiographical nature to this there, I, there, I there definitely is um she has talked about yeah how how this movie was made during like a very, or she was, she got the idea for this movie during a very challenging time in her life. Um, mm. I, there's, she gave an interview for Vulture, uh, where she was talking about trying to get her second film made and also getting pregnant, uh, and neither was going well. She says, quote, I just remember ping ponging between disappointments, she says. Mm. Um, I was funny about it too when she was talking about it with her friends. I remember my friend laughing really hard and saying, you should totally write this stuff down. It's good material. Uh, and so that's what she did. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that, right? It, it feels like somebody's diary almost. It, it mm-hmm. feels that, uh, that revealing and laid bare, um, and little moments that are so, you know, the, the kinds of things that you remember that aren't big, impactful moments in, in the process of one's life in the process of, of this kind of thing, but that you remember that make an indelible mark. It feels like a movie that's, that's composed of memories and, uh, imagery that, and, and experience that is, um, beneath the surface. That's like deep into the bones of a person, you know, and heartache, you know, I, I have two children. Uh, I, I'm of the age, very young children. I'm of the age uh, that 
many of our friends are either having kids or trying to conceive or, and you have, you have all of these range of experiences that you hear about. We, you know, we, our first child, we didn't conceive it the first time we tried either. It, it is a nerve wracking experience. It is a emotional experience. And this movie captures all of that in a really beautiful, poignant way. Uh, there are, uh, wonderful family dynamics that are touched on, but the movie isn't like, it doesn't ever arrive at the places that a film would arrive. It doesn't set things up and pay them off in clean ways. It, it feels more like life in that it's almost episodic. It's almost, um, it's just sort of the, the <laughs> brutality and, uh, difficulties of day to day life. And, and these, these, we find out very late in the movie that these are artists, you know, so it kind of resonated in that way with me. I just, I was moved by this movie and, uh, it, you know, it's hard to watch in a lot of ways. I actually liken it to, you know, how when you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm or The Office, you uh -huh. know, there's that feeling of like, Watching Larry David or uh, you know David Brent, and you're just like you, you, it's, yeah. you cringe, cringe factor. Yeah. yeah, because of what they do. Well, this movie, this movie is that, except instead of Larry David and David Brent, it's life. It's the it's the brutality of life, and uh, you can't escape it. And that's so much worse. Like it's not these these buffoons or these stubborn characters getting themselves into these situations and making you cringe. It's these things that we all know and we've all been through that is just how life goes that it's like, Oh yeah, it hurts to watch. It's so hard. Life is hard. And, uh, and that makes this movie all the better, but all the more difficult to watch. I think, uh, uh, one reaction I had to what you said, Jeff, is you're talking about like the moments in between the moments. I, I continually go back to this quote by Richard Linklater. I don't have the exact quote, but the, the sentiment of when you think back on your life, and he's talking about the movie Boyhood. You don't remember the graduation, like you know, mm. high school graduation. You remember the car ride back home right. from graduation. And in, when you watch Boyhood, they don't show the graduation; they show the car ride back home. You know, right? And uh, I think there's something to that of uh, it's it's the moments in between, you know, that that make up the tapestry of your life. It's you don't choose your memories; your memories choose you, kind of thing. Uh, and I think this movie depicts that really well. Uh, Devinder Hardwar, how about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, this movie cuts deep. Uh, I'm with you, Jeff, on everything you're saying. And uh, you know, I just have to say, like, I'm coming into this movie, uh, watching it while cradling my newborn, <laughs> and it definitely gives me a perspective on it. Um, I have to say, like, uh, like my wife and I, we didn't go down this path, and this is a path that a lot of people I know have had to deal with, of like IVF and a lot of treatments to get pregnant because you decide to do it at a later age. That's honestly something I was researching because you know the clock is ticking for like my family in general. Um, so it's like, these were things on my mind and my wife and I, we had tried for years to get pregnant and we just didn't get to that point and things just kind of happened naturally, thankfully. Um, but yeah, this movie is like all of the fears I had of like, if I had to like go through this process later and I definitely felt for a lot of my friends who are much older and who for like, just the one thing they want is the one thing that's so impossible to get at that point in their life. 
uh, this movie just made me feel very much for them. Uh, at the same time, too, it is so much. I, I feel like this movie is also about like just the the cost of like pursuing your career, especially if it's like an artistic career, right? Like this movie is so definitively New York, and it's like a specific type of like New York artist too, of like you know people who are you know in a rent stabilized apartment that they've probably been in for like a decade or two and they've been there because the cheap the rent is cheap but also because they're successful but not successful enough to like move on from that easily and that's you know that's something that i think a lot of artists and something i've been thinking of too um yeah it, it cuts deep in a lot of ways uh as we get older and as we deal with our professional lives if you put off having a child you, you don't know how much difficult that's how difficult that's going to make it the whole process, you know, going down the line. Uh, it definitely like uh, picked on all of my fears, and anxieties around this whole process. Uh, there are a lot of scenes of um, medical offices and treatments and things going on um, that, you know, this couple has to deal with as well. And that just felt really true to life. Um, not through the IVF treatment, but through the just getting pregnant experience. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of that. There's a lot of doctor visits. There's a lot of like weird uh, clinical, you know, things happening. Um, yeah. And, and what this yeah, movie gets so yeah. right about that, which is such a great point that you bring that up. What this movie gets so right about that, I think, is there's this clash between you, you, the patient who is in this uh, completely unique life moment mm-hmm. that is that feels yeah. like this this culmination of everything in their world you know like this is the most important thing that you can do as a human being is like create life and Mm -hmm. you are everything feels heightened and important and that comes crashing into people who are literally doing this every single day (laughs) and it's a machine jokes yeah Yeah, it's the it's a machine it's a it's a treadmill for them if there's nothing special about it or unique and that regardless of anybody's experience, you know, in conception or birthing or whatever, everybody runs into that. And it is such a jarring, weird feeling. And this movie captures it in a way that I don't see any other movie having done. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I, I really love this movie as well. I, I want to talk a few, about a few spoilers in the spoiler section, but, uh, I, I'll just bring up two kind of big takeaways I have from this movie. <clears throat> One of them is, Summed up really well by the opening shot, which is you kind of see Catherine Hahn's pelvis, like in in her underwear, right? And uh, she's lying in bed, and the shot is, uh, you know, feels like o- almost suggestive, sexy. right? It's it's yeah. almost like sexy. And then what you discover is that uh, oh, it's because Paul Giamatti's character needs to inject her in the ass, like inject her right. full of hormones. Um, Couldn't and, be less sexy. Yeah, and and I think that that's something that I think the movie brings out really well, which is how completely annihilating this process is to a relationship and to romance. You know, it it just completely lays waste to uh, that connection that one can have with their significant other, uh, which is kind of this weird irony, this weird incongruity, like what you're talking about, Jeff, with the doctor's office, this weird incongruity that like this thing that's supposed to be like this very joyful thing, uh, it, it then becomes like an extremely clinical uh, process, right? A clinical, right. medical, and often physically painful 
um, process that like where one person is inflicting the pain on the other person. Um, yeah, and es- and especially from the woman's perspective, right? And this movie gets it so so accurately that treating the woman like this mm-hmm. object, this machine, this this baby making thing that you have to inject with the right things, and it it becomes like you said, it becomes a math problem instead of any any human emotional thing, and and that is hard, man. It's hard. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Uh, and, and the only other thing I want to mention, like, and I have more things to say in spoilers, but the, the one thing that I, I would w- wish for anyone to take away from this movie, right, is, you know, there's this quote online, it's been attributed to a few people, but it's like, everyone is fighting a battle you don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and um, if, if someone doesn't have a child, uh, maybe they've been trying for like six years to have a child, and your uh, random remark of like, why aren't you guys, you know, where, when am I going to see a, a little one, you know, come in? Like that remark uh, might actually be like one of the worst things you could possibly say to them. Uh, sure. uh, alternatively, um, maybe, uh, I, I mean, I think, I think it's extremely likely that many of us out there listening right now know people who have children who are conceived via these kind of processes. And you don't mm. know what, like, you just don't know because it's not talked about. And that's right. one of the great things about this movie is it helps to bring some of these things out into the open um, from the darkness because it's uncomfortable to talk about, right? There's yeah. still some level of stigma attached to these things, even though so many people conceive and, and give birth to children through these methods. Um, it, it's just not discussed. And so I hope when people watch this movie, like, the, the reaction is compassion. It is that, hey, yeah. like... You you have no idea if your friend's kids were conceived via these methods or not, and uh, or you have no idea if they tried to conceive using th- these methods and failed. And just keep that in mind when you talk about kids, because I think like there's this there's this shot of um, uh, early on in the film of like these kids doing a little like song and dance at a dinner, right? And what this movie shows is like when you are trying to conceive, when you are in the position that these people are in. Uh, you like everything around you becomes about that right every every like a seemingly insignificant uh you know song and dance at a dinner is like a reminder of the fact that this couple can't conceive right like it, and it's just like it, the the entire universe that these people uh inhabit is refocused to this one goal uh and for good or ill and often for ill. So I think it's it's just a really kind of searing portrait of uh, what it's like when one's life becomes dominated by this process. I, I think the only thing I missed from this movie is I wish I had gotten to see what this couple was like before they were in this process. Um, right. Yeah. Because because you see kind of what how, how the process of like um, you know reproductive health has has kind of laid waste to their relationship. But you don't see like what it laid waste to, you know. You don't see like mm-hmm. what came before that right. they lost through this process, um, and so that would have been that would have been nice, I think, to kind of convey that that contrast. But um, other than that, I, I thought the movie's great. Yeah, go ahead. Can I can I just speak to what you had said before? Because I, I thought that was beautifully said, and it uh, along the same lines, something that that I have thought of uh, throughout the process of having my kids, and and this movie I think underscores it is. Uh, you know, it occurred to me, uh, seeing all the people around me in my life, uh, seeing how the process of my kids and and all the things that you get terrified about as a parent, and all the 
crazy ups and downs of worry uh, that are inevitable uh, when you have kids is that everyone, any child, any one of us, I should say, mm-hmm. has won the lottery a thousand times over. You know what I mean? Like you, you win the lottery over and over and over again, just like being born and having all your fingers and toes. And, you know, I, we just, my son is two and he's in a school right now. And we just found out one of his little two year old classmates has stage four cancer. And it's like crushing and heartrending. And like, you just, there are so many things that can go wrong with the human biology just on a purely mm-hmm. chance level, you know, that like we, we all that we all that make it into adulthood have won the lottery so many times over to squander that by being an asshole, you know, like, <laughs> like how can you even do that? It's, it's, it's the most ungrateful thing you could do to like take a, a, decent life and fuck it up. You know, it's like, you know how crazy lucky you got just to be okay. You know? Uh, and I feel like this movie is kind of, kind of underscoring that like it is so just life is so hard for everybody. And, uh, and we all have to, we all have to try. We all have to like be good to each other. I don't know. Maybe it's a little, uh, Pollyanna of me, but Still, well, I think I think you're saying like we all have like different permutations of uh, being lucky at certain things, right? Like we we all have different permutations, and I think it just it's worth it to recognize that. You know, there's it's worth it to to understand that in many ways we are lucky, um, and we should respect that and be sensitive to those who are not as lucky. That's kind of my my takeaway from this, and also mm-hmm. and also like you know you were saying like oh how could you how could you uh, grow up and and have a lucky life and still be an asshole. And I think like to some extent, the people in the movie, the protagonists of the movie, are kind of assholes. Because, oh yeah, most definitely because yeah. of what is because of this process, right? And mm. and there there's some the 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 movie shows you kind of the cost of this process to the relationship, but also like it shows you that like the singular focus on this one thing. Um, that that there is a downside to it, you know that um, and that it's worth considering the cost of of going down this path. So, which it sounds like is something that Devendra you were mentioning you had done. So, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, I, I mean, basically, it, it it warps people in ways that I don't think they anticipate. And I think you kind of see that in the movie with like technology has allowed for so much crazy shit to happen now, uh, where you can like. Like there's egg donors, and you know you can like implant one can implant one sperm in an egg donor, and like have that embryo grow in a third person's body, uh, and that's just like that. I, that's only been in the last few decades that that's been possible, as far as I understand. And I don't know that our social norms have caught up with it. Like we 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 have no social norms to deal with that right now. Uh, and I think this is, that's something this movie highlights really, uh, really beautifully. So yeah, it's it's all it's all so much about changing social norms too. Like just the idea of like, I, I won't say too much spoiler stuff, but the idea of how they want to do IVF later is kind of horrifying to their family. And I think for maybe appropriate reasons, even if uh, at the same time maybe not as big a deal as some other people think. Like there, there's so much changing. The idea of uh, yeah, conceiving 
is just completely different. And who knows, like in a decade or two, what it's going to even change into. It's, yeah. it's all kind of crazy now. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's get to spoilers for Private Life starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I think probably the... The main centerpiece of this movie, if I may be so bold, is the Thanksgiving conversation. Oh, yeah. So yeah. exquisitely set up and paid off. Like, it, it just, it's like, uh, you know, when you see a car about to crash into something or you see someone about to walk into a pole or something, like, you yeah. know it's going to happen, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like you're watching this, un- this horror show unfold in slow motion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my favorite thing is the guy who goes next. Oh my gosh, amazing! And he's oblivious to it. <laughs> so and like, amazing. Well, he, so good. He had his own news he wanted to celebrate, Jeff. You yeah, know, yeah. He 30, just, Thirty-one days sober. Be denied. <laughs> <laughs> it, so it, it, it was incre- it was incredibly like the build up to it and every, it was just so so good. Yeah. Um, and Molly Shannon has now become. Uh, she plays like Molly Shannon parts. Mm-hmm. You know, she plays like the. The uh, sort of overinvested, uh, annoying mom, uh, but she does it so well. I yeah, mean, she did the same thing in like divorce as well, right? Yes, similar, exactly. Similar role in divorce. I feel like yeah. same for Catherine Hahn too. Like this feels like the character from I Love Dick, just a couple years later, being like, "Okay, I want a kid now," and oh, this is very difficult. Hmm. Um, I the, the whole scene, uh, the whole like opening ten minutes, I thought was just really well put together. Like something that you said, you know, Jeff talking about like the clinical nature of it and how like this this uh, momentous occasion clashes with the uh, the everyday like the, not not just a job, it's like a business that these people are in. Um, yeah, and uh, Dennis O'Hare, Dennis O'Hare, who plays the doctor, is so perfect. Like I love every scene he's in. Like he's so jaunty and and but like serious also. I mean he's not he's not a cartoon character. He's he kind of buy him as a real doctor. I just loved him. Uh, the <laughs> this the scene where Paul Giamatti is in the room where he's supposed to give his specimen, and then like the he the porn turns on really loud, and then he like gets yeah. up and the thing is stuck to his ass. It, I think <laughs> what's great about that and like many scenes like it is it just shows how this process completely removes one's dignity, you know? Uh, it's just like all, yeah. all, all your dignity is gone in the, in the process of like trying to reproduce using these uh, scientific methods. Uh, it, it is, uh, it's just something that like there's a lot that one sacrifices when one has to go through this. Uh, and, but one of the most heartbreaking scenes to me, honestly, was didn't have anything to do with any of the uh, reproductive stuff. It was that scene when the niece reads the theater review uh, mm-hmm. in the apartment. And yeah. it's like, it's like, oh, this, you know, like Paul Giamatti was part of this show where he directed it apparently. And it was in- incredible. Um, and <laughs> it was from the village voice. And they make a joke about that. Like oh, God. Oh, it was from the, when the village voice was relevant. Uh, what a village voice dig, uh, especially today. Jeez. Yeah, I think I think the movie is probably made before the Village Voice yes. folded. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that was a sad reference. But then also, just like in with that theater review being read to him, you kind of 
you can sketch the entire arc of that character's life in your mind. You know, like you've oh, seen definitely. the apartment, you, you you've seen like what they've been going through with with the reproduction, and then you you've heard this theater review, and you're like, oh, like somehow, like you connect the dots, like he went from that to uh, he's working at a at a pickle factory. It seems right. Um, well, they so, still own the theater company, yeah. right? And that's that they like do. There's a co-op run out of it because she's working. She's ostensibly working for the theater company, uh, but also doing menial labor. Uh, yep. So you, you get a sense that there's there's some sort of weird uh, actress co-op happening. I, yeah. I like Dave's jump to pickle factory here, though. That is, <laughs> aren't, well, aren't they aren't they working at a pickle thingy? Right, like he's. They're... I think that's the theater company. I think yeah, the theater it looks company. Like the co-op. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does an oh, actress co as an actress co-op? Oh, okay. Because because uh, here's the reason I thought that was because they're loading into a van that has a pickle thing on the side, and he's talking mm-hmm. about going to the farmer's market. So I just assumed uh, yeah, yeah. I might have gotten that. But I think correct. Uh, I'm reading a lot into it, but but I think that what's happening is that the actors at the theater company are doing these kinds of things to put money into the pockets of all the theater of the, all of the actors mm. uh, that, that is it's a true actors co-op where they all sort of work and make theater and uh, share profits and but i could be I, that's yeah, what yeah. i just read into it so i the movie isn't explicit yeah i, I see uh, what it, you're saying though dave like it's uh the idea of like framing maybe like their careers were in arrested development or something like that. Like I think that dinner conversation with the niece is the thing that really got me. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah I have a really successful aunt and she's a you know renowned playwright. And you know, my uncle does this and they're still living in a rent controlled, you know, <laughs> rent stabilized flat in East village. Uh, they haven't done much better, you know? Uh, but you know, that, that whole conversation was both, uplifting yet such a gut punch yeah i mean it, it just shows that it's a sacrifice it, it takes sacrifices to be an artist and to focus on your career you know uh it's yeah. a sacrifice to be an artist because of the financial situation you end up in and it's a sacrifice uh to have a career because you end up like not having kids until later in life mm-hmm. and that creates its own challenges let's talk about the ending of the film which i thought was just absolutely brutal like that, that, that yeah, it's <laughs> the Michael Clayton style, you know, roll credits while the, oh. there's actually diegetic <laughs> action still happening. Uh, yeah. I like, I had a physical reaction to it. <laughs> tell, tell, tell me about your physical reaction, Jeff. I mean, if, yeah, I felt like you, you talk about a gut punch and I was just like, I, I think I said out loud, oof, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, here we are. And they just sit there and hold on them and the credits roll over their faces and it's just, it's just not going to change. It's just this unending struggle yeah. <laughs> of life. Yeah, you just you, – you, you understand – like there's that amazing scene before where Paul Giamatti says, you know, intellectually I know I'm supposed to do something like comfort you, but I just don't oh. have it in me, right? That they are both so completely drained by this process that he's just like I, – I, I don't even have enough energy to like, ma- like comfort you because I myself – have have completely been devastated by this, and uh, and then and he's, but he says he's glad he's glad because at least it's over at least right. it's over, and yeah, then you isn't. realize like oh it's not it's not over yet and I think like that last scene just the the feeling I'm left with is like how singular this drive is to have children right mm-hmm. like that yeah. there is there are few other drives like it in the in the world. 
and uh, that they are willing to continue to sacrifice massive quantities of time, resources, money to this cause. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of my takeaway from the ending is like th- that this drive is so powerful that it has ruined their relationship and in some way their lives and they're still going back for more. Yeah, but the key to that last scene is that they're on the same side of the booth. And I think mm-hmm. that's the ultimate like turn for this movie because I think throughout most of the movie – He's just like suffering through it. You know, mm. he's dealing with this because his wife wants this. And in that bedroom conversation, he's like, oh, yeah, he's the one that can feel relief, you know, because he's the one that wants it to be over in a way. It never felt like he was giving himself to the process, you know, um, whereas I, the hopeful look at the ending is that they're on the same side of the booth. Yeah, and they're holding think- hands and they're approaching it together as a team rather than like two people just trying to make this thing happen. Yeah, I think that's a great observation, Devendra. Um do you guys have any opinion about whether the person actually shows up? What do you I think? Mean, it certainly it certainly feels like they're not going to show up. It certainly yeah. feels like it's another trip down heartache lane. And, you know, this movie sets itself up. The, the thing that is so heart-wrenching is how constantly once we've landed on our, you know, sort of main plot device of asking the niece to donate one of her eggs and going through all of the the familial difficulties that that evokes and, you know, constantly she and they are talking about it. Like this is the solution that this is what you guys are going to be such great parents. I'm so happy to like give this gift to you. All of the things it, it, it feels like they finally found the way to do it. And that the scene where you, you, it's sort of even off screen Mm -hmm that you hear that that didn't work. It's just mm. no movies. Don't do that. You know, the, the movies, I actually remarked to my wife as we were, I don't know, 15 minutes in, cause I didn't know anything about this movie going in 15 minutes. in, I turned to her and I said, does this movie end with them having the baby or do they have the baby midway through? And we see how that <laughs> changes their life. This is what you wanted. That's amazing, right? Jeff. That is amazing. Right. And the fact that the movie just, doesn't ever let them have any <laughs> any happiness or resolution is so hard it uh well yeah. I, I actually kind of agree with Devendra a little you know i'm gonna scale back my, my thoughts a little bit and say like i agree with Devendra that that uh there is some kind of happiness to that resolution because what is implied by that ending is you know they're on mm-hmm. the same side of the booth they're in it together and think of all the conversations that had to happen between you know the the time cut right all the conversations that had to happen between Paul Giamatti saying like I'm we're done it's finished and then to go and travel back and be at that booth again um, but that's the movie does that over and over and I, I love it like there's the the huge fight that they have when he suggests you know let's put somebody else's egg in you and then it smash and there's a huge fight and you totally understand where she's coming from and then smash cut to them sitting in bed and she's scrolling through who are they right. going to pick yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like the movie constantly does that of like, there's no way we're doing this. <laughs> and then they're doing, you know, it's, <laughs> it's such a level of desperation. And oh, man. it's hard. It's there. It's there is room, by the way, for a follow up movie in five years of them maybe having the kid or in a couple of years. And then that whole process of yeah. these characters <laughs> getting what they wanted and the hell around that. Although I think uh, Tully is still the definitive movie so far of that <laughs> right. experience. Yeah. I read this article the other day that was like really depressing. Um it's at this new uh, site called <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> Daily, Daily, H M M Daily dot com. Have you guys heard of the site? 
Yeah. <laughs> no. Dale, I tried to say hmm into the mic, and I was like, failed for some reason. <laughs> you, you okay, Jeff? It's delightful. Um, anyway, the the headline of this article is "Your real biological clock is you're going to die," which I thought yeah. uh, it, it was the the article is basically about how people are having kids older in life, and uh, that like if you're having kids when you're Paul Giamatti's age, you know when uh, that kid is graduated from college, Paul Giamatti is going to be almost seventy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and how uh, like like when you think about it in terms of time. Uh, yeah, it, it gets kind of mind-boggling. Um, We're all going to be downloading our consciousness into computers by that point, right? Let's hope so. Yeah, That's we have to survive until then. I yeah. just want to say one last thing to comment on what you said, Jeff, about like y- you didn't expect this movie to go there, and some- something that Tamara Jenkins said in her interview, which is like one of the reasons she has a lot of difficulty getting her movies made, is because they defy easy genre categorizations. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like this is not really a, a drama. It's not really a dramedy. It's not a romantic, com- you know. Like what? Yeah. What is this movie? You know, it's like yeah. it doesn't. She, ha- she's not making a movie every ten years by choice, right? Basically, right, right. Yeah. exactly. Well, I, actually, part actually that's the thing is like part of it is by choice because mm-hmm. like she she puts a lot of herself into it and and it takes a, um, a lot of time to like make these mo- like write these scripts to the point where they are so authentic. Um, but I I agree with you that like um, she probably could be making more money. If uh, she was making, you know, rom-coms, right? Um, yeah. Instead. Well, and and there are all these wonderful uh, loose threads that in a rom-com or in a what more typical Hollywood movie, you can see the the pay the setup payoff, right? That there's even the, the moment where I was certain that the the niece is was had gotten pregnant from doing it with the with her little boyfriend. Yeah, that was from, so uh, crazy. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. Yeah, and and movie doesn't even go there, right? We just it just kind of like raises all these things and goes, "No, life is way messier than that. There's no clean even a sort of uncomfortable ironic cleanness we're not going for. It's life just it's just none of those things. It's not be, she didn't get pregnant because she's already pregnant with his kid and it's not none of it is easy an answer. It's just how life works where it's just like, "No, didn't work. Still doesn't work. It's just yeah. messy." And and I, I oh man, it just makes it so much harder that it's like that because there are no answers to anything. The uh, the other head fake that happened was when she was in the uh, at the clinic. The the niece is at the clinic and she comes out and she says, um, "Hey, like the, the doctor said all these terrible things to me," and I, yeah. I thought it was going to be like some kind of fabrication or something like right? that that she had made it yeah. up. Um, I but that too. I, I don't think that was the case. I don't think that was the case. Yeah. So doctors can be surprisingly shitty, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Indeed, indeed. And we don't ever see any resolution to that, or like, right. It's a lot of a lot of stuff where it's just it's just messy life stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the movie, her movies, kind of defy easy categorization, but I think they're great, and I think more people should watch them. And I think we all think that this movie is uh, a great film, right? Yeah, so, and I guess I can say that I summed up my thoughts in this limerick. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so you say defy easy classification, but uh, I made a limerick out of it, so I think it's uh, you know, uh, just just get it over with, Jeff. <laughs> five ones. Okay, ready. The hardship of trying to conceive, portrayed honestly, raw, and believably, though you really should know, this movie's brutal and grants no reprieve. Uh, I don't know about that believably thing. <laughs> um, artistic license is what kind of a it. rough limerick there but otherwise pretty good Jeff pretty good Thanks. Uh, other than the fact that you completely broke the form 
Um, okay. <laughs> Let's move on to our next review of The Old Man and the Gun. So, uh, what did you say you do? Well, that's a secret. And why is that? Well, because if I told you, you probably wouldn't want to see me again. Who said I was going to see you again? Would you? Well, let's take this place. Say it was a bank, and instead of that counter up there, that was really a teller's window, and you just walk in, real calm. So you walk right up, look her in the eye, and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery. And you show her the gun, like this. And you say, I wouldn't want you to get hurt, because I like you. I like you a lot. So don't go breaking my heart now, okay? <sighs> You're not serious. That was from the trailer for The Old Man and the Gun, the newest film by uh, director David Lowry. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Based on the true story of Forrest Tucker, this movie covers an unprecedented string of heists that confounded authorities and enchanted the public. Uh, and this movie stars Robert Redford in what he claims it is, is his last on-screen role. Uh, and... Uh, Devendra and Jeff, you've both seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I assume. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But this yeah. this movie, I, I would actually say, like, you should not watch this movie unless you have seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, <laughs> because it is it is kind of like a uh, really what I would describe like as an effective bookend to his career, along with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I'm not I'm not sure you should watch any movie if you haven't seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Fair uh, enough. But fair th- enough. That's how um, I feel. <laughs> So, so as I've mentioned, Jeff Kanata, uh, Robert Redford has said, like, this is going to be his last movie. He's retiring after this. Uh, do you think that with this movie, he's going out with a bang or a whimper? What do you think? Well, Dave, I guess you could sum up my thoughts best in the form of a limerick. Oh, okay. <clears throat> this elderly gentleman's armed, and I'm here to sound the alarm. Go watch him rob banks. It's enjoyable, thanks to Redford's transcendent charm. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad, right. Not bad. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I don't know if I need to add to that because this pretty much sums up everything I feel about this movie. <laughs> but uh, I will say, yeah, I mean, he is a treasure. <laughs> you know, I've been a Redford fan ever since I was a little kid. My dad, I very clearly remember uh, uh, the day I was young, I don't know, 10, 11, and he told me to watch back-to-back Butch Casting the Sundance Kid and The Sting. Ooh. And those two movies have left an indelible mark on me. They, I mean, I fell in love with, with Redford and Newman. And, I mean, I've watched those many, many times since. And they're classics. And they're of my favorite films of all time. And he's amazing. I mean, he is a movie star. He is – he leaps off the screen even at, at his age. It is undeniable that he is uh, – He's a movie star. He's got charisma that just – it just – he doesn't have to do anything and you just want to watch him. You want to be friends with him. You want to hang out with him. Um, and he has found in this role, in this film, uh, a character who is all charisma, right? That's kind of just what who he is. He's a guy that does uh, unlawful acts but everybody tends to like him and want to be with him and, and I – you know, it's it it is uh, it, it movie feels a little bit like a fairy tale. Uh, it feels a little unbelievable, even though it is based on a real person. Uh, it feels uh, you know like a movie, but I just had a blast watching it. Uh, Sissy Spacek is wonderful in it as well. 
it's it's great to see sort of a romance uh, among uh, an age group that you don't tend to see in films uh, very often. And I mean, I just I just wanted this movie not to end. I loved being with this guy. I wanted to see what he would think of next. And it's an easy breezy film. It it is, I think, a textbook good sit. You know, it's just like what better way to spend 90 minutes in a movie theater than to hang out with Robert Redford and watch him steal some stuff. It's great. It's a great (laughs) sit. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I would say it is a good sit. Devendra, what do you think? Yeah, I, I love this movie uh, as well. Uh, I do love Robert Redford roles where he is this sort of like charming uh, con man in a way or trying to steal things. So I also like you could draw a direct line from sneakers too to this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie, it's just so much fun. It is like, yeah, I, I think I haven't had this much fun with like a, uh, a crime movie like this since the Brothers Bloom. And this kind of mm-hmm. has the same sort of vibe, except it's maybe a little less cartoonish. But I think it's just as like breezy and fun and charming. And, you know, there is danger. But at the same time, like he just smiles at it. Um, you know, the most like somebody gets hurt is like uh, the, there's a slight gunshot. And even then, it's like not treated that seriously. It's a movie that, you know, it's yeah, off just, screen, too. Yeah. And it just they can just have so much fun with this material. Um I love David Lowry's style too. Like, you know, we, we've talked about uh, ghost story. We've talked about pizza dragon. Uh, yeah. He, he's just like, it, it's, it's a very classical style in a way. Also really enjoy the score to this movie. Um, haven't, I don't know if we, I've heard much of Daniel Hart stuff before, but I can't get this movie's sound out of my head either. Um, just like a great, enjoyable all around great sit. I'd say. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought there were a few things about it worth pointing out. Jeff, like you said, uh, this movie kind of covers this relationship that uh, you don't typically see depicted on screen, right? The, the, this this older couple, and you kind of make older deci- you kind of make different decisions when you're at that age. From from what I have observed, you know, I, just I, I you know, I can't speak for everyone. I, I don't want to make too broad generalizations, but from what I've seen. Um, I, I know of couples who, you know, they uh, they were married, like the two people were married for many years uh, to different to other people, and then you know those people passed away, and they just like found an arrangement that worked. They live together, but they're not like boyfriend girlfriend, but they're not like um, they're not husband and wife, and they just kind of live together. I'm not saying that's what the relationship was here. I think it was more romantic than that, but I think that like uh, at some point it feels like. You just stop giving a crap what people think and you just kind of do what works for you is is what it feels like the stage that these people have entered into. Um, please tell me if I'm if I'm wrong yeah. in my assessment. I'm really looking forward to getting old and being in that phase too. Like, yeah, just not, uh, oh, not I'm, giving shit anymore. Yeah, not giving a shit. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Uh, that's that's kind of. I mean, I mean, to some extent, that's kind of how this character uh, has lived through his life. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. think it's interesting that I, you know. I think there's an argument to be made that it's the exact opposite, mm. but. Interesting. It's, it's that he's given he gives more of a shit than anybody else, but it's it's sort of just misplaced. Hmm. Hmm. But we can talk about that in spoilers. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, some people have said this is a metaphor for filmmaking, you know. Um, and uh, here here's an example of of someone who said that. Mike Ryan at UpRocks.com wrote, 
At any point in the film, you can substitute robbing banks for making movies, and it all still makes perfect sense. Here's Redford, who's now 82 years old, in a role where he looks like a gosh darn kid. He's smiling and hamming and charming his way through this whole film. Looks like he's having the time of his life. There are times when you'd swear Redford is in the prime of his life. Why would anyone want to give this up? It's obvious Redford is asking himself the same question, but that's the thing. How many roles are there for people Redford's age where the character just gets to be happy as we watch him do what he loves doing? Too many actors yeah. end their career on something solemn, but no, that was never how Redford was going to end it. We want to see Redford grinning from ear to ear in The Sting, and here he is, one last time, conjuring up that boyish charm, one last time, end quote. Um, that's from Mike Ryan's review of the film at uprocks.com, uh, and I thought it was really a good way to put the metaphor of this movie, of like that, that in a way this represents kind of Robert Redford's career, this character, right, Rep- represents Robert Redford's career. Super charming. He is a total gentleman and, uh, in a way, swindling the audience by getting them to pay money for him. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't mean that in a, in a, in a malicious way, but, but, um, it's also kind of interesting the movie's tone, right? It, it downplays the human cost of this guy's actions. I'm sure, like, there were plenty of people traumatized by his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie kind of wants to just uh, portray Robert Redford as like a happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, what did you guys think of kind of the negative aspects of this movie? Because because it's clear that it, it does have a cost. Like there are you do sure. see people who are interviewed, let's say, in the movie who like uh, for whom Robert Redford has Robert Redford's character has not had a positive influence on on their lives. And so I'm wondering, like, do you come away with like, hey, this is like just a fun movie that like. Uh, but that like minimizes his crimes and and the, the the bad nature of some of his crimes or like how do you reconcile that, Devendra? What do you think? Yeah, with a movie like this, right? It's not it's not a documentary. I'm not expecting it to be like a fully accurate rendition. I do think they do try to fit in something. Like there there's a scene where uh, you know Casey Affleck's character travels and talks to somebody, and I think that kind of gives you a glimpse of like oh the other side of like you know the cost of his actions in his life and things that he's done that he probably doesn't even know about, you know, right. but you know, he's affected people's lives in bad ways. Jeff, how do you feel like it, it reckons with that? Do you feel like it, it's go ahead? Yeah, no, that's a, do you, do you feel like it does a good job of reckoning with, do you feel like, you know, no. yeah, <laughs> I think it's unconcerned <laughs> with that. Right, right. right. We do, we do see this, this view of him from some people who have to deal with his, uh, his lack of commitment to, to, to real life. Uh, and that certainly leaves a mark. I think, I think the movie is to its credit, you know, doesn't pull punches there, but for the most part, I think that's why I describe it as a bit of a fairy tale and a bit of a Hollywood jaunt. It is, it's, it's not trying to create a realistic view of this guy. It's just reveling in, the the charming uh uh oh, what's the what's the cliche um you know the 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 gentleman thief or whatever that's the, the mm-hmm. roguish you know a gentleman rogue or whatever it is it's it is a i think a false you know, uh, false characterization i i don't think it, i just the movie isn't concerned with creating a well-rounded look at what the cost of those actions are. It's much more interested in delivering a, uh, a flight of fancy. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's fine. I, I don't yeah. have a problem with that in this case. 
Yeah, I, I think as long as you don't go to this film expecting a kind of hard-boiled crime thriller, uh, right. as long as you expect a movie that will show you Robert Redford at, at some of his most charismatic. And, I mean, the movie doesn't shy away from showing how old Robert Redford is. You know, many shots like oh, focus no. on like his, a, his wrinkles and stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a really funny part where uh, so, someone's asked to describe him and they're like, he's between 50 and 60 it could be 50 or 60 <laughs> and i'm like i was sitting there like you know what i'd, I'd buy it i'd sure. buy it if he was 50 <laughs> sure. he's 82 but you know what it's redford <laughs> exactly yeah speaking of tone by the way uh Catherine, if, if you can came to mind oh yeah and i think it kind of has that same vibe too that one uh, got a little more emotional a little more serious like over like towards the end but i think like these sorts of movies of just like you know crazy caper movies of wildly charismatic people I'm fine with the tone like that. Yeah. All right. Shall we get the spoilers, gentlemen? Spoilers sure. for uh, The Old Man and the Gun starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I think... Um, one of the things that really kind of baffled me about this movie was the way that it handled the gun of the title, <laughs> uh, and the gun that's never shot. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, anti Chekhov's gun. It, it's anti <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, and I I th- I've read an interview with David Lowry where he talks about his ad- like that that David Lowry basically has he's almost sworn off making movies with guns um, mm-hmm. these days. And I thought it was really interesting, uh, like, how, how he talked about it, um, where, you know, he made a movie with, uh, with guns, like Ain't Them Body Saints, I think, had some, had some guns in it, right? And some people, yeah. some shootouts and stuff. Uh, and he basically, like, I read this interview in Entertainment Weekly with him, uh, Katie Hasty uh, did this interview with him, where he talked about how uh, he didn't like, you, you know, he, he didn't like the fact that, Gun was in the title of the movie, but it's the same uh, title as the New Yorker article, right, that this movie is based on. So it kind of made sense to keep it that way. Um, But he was talking about how, like, it really started to upset him to have, like, shootouts where, like, people die. And and he started thinking about – here, here. I'm going to read the quote from the article here. Um, Ain't Them Body Saints uh, was a big part – that's part of the culture of the Western, of Western civilization. But I don't like that part of our culture. When I wrote the very first version of Ain't Them Body Saints, it was more of an action movie and had a lot of gun violence in it. And I just did not feel comfortable writing that. The movie became what it became because I did not like writing violence. I was writing all these action scenes that were disposable and bad guys getting shot left and right. And I would think to myself, well, who were those guys? What brought them to this point where they die now? And how awful that they are getting killed without any, anyone recognizing who they are. Uh, end quote. And I just, I, I just thought, I thought that quote was so interesting. Like, we see lots of movies where people are gunned down left and right, you know, by the dozens mm-hmm. or hundreds. If, if you've been watching, like, you know, <laughs> The Night Comes for Us and Apostle, like I've been watching the last few weeks, and it's like, what brought these people to the moment that this is where they die? <laughs> you know, like, what, <laughs> yeah. what is the arc of their life that they die here? And then, like, and there's something kind of upsetting about the fact that. 
we just don't recognize. Like these people are nameless. You know, isn't there a, a a moment in one of the Austin Power movies where he kills uh, a henchman, and then yeah. you see like quick flashes of that henchman's entire life? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, I, and, uh, yeah. it's kind of like that. And and so anyway, um, this feels like a guy. When I'm reading this interview, it feels like a guy who made a movie called The Old Man and the Gun, and during the course of that making that film, realized he didn't want to have anything to do with gun culture, and so. <laughs> Uh, what's interesting is you only see the gun two times in the entire film. Uh, it's like in, in the opening scene and then later on in the film. And then like every other time, uh, he, you, you only are hinted at the gun. Uh, and that was his way of not showing the gun. Like he didn't want to show the gun, even though the gun is what the guy is using to threaten people and get them to give him money. Uh, and I almost thought at one point the movie was going a different way when the bank manager said, uh, hey, uh, you know, did you see the gun? And he's like, oh, I don't I don't know. But he told me he had one. And I'm like, <laughs> was he just faking yeah. the whole time? Like, was the movie going to say he's faking the whole time? But no, you saw the gun in the opening scene. Um, so it and just, also Sissy Spacek discovers it in the glove compartment. That's right. That's the and second time, I think, right? Just yeah. decides not to make an issue of it. <laughs> yeah. It's always like years together. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought it was it felt kind of a weird like mixed tone where the movie's about a dude threatening bank people with gun with a gun, but then the movie never shows the gun because it doesn't want to be involved with per- perpetuating like the glorification of gun violence. Mm. Uh so it's just weird. It was weird to me. But I I actually, the you know, gun I, as a symbol, you know, it's it's potential violence, but yeah. Yeah, I, I see they just don't show it on screen. But I, I, I guess yeah, yeah. I would rather that than like full blown glorification of the gun. You know. Um, yeah. So, but it just it just felt it struck me as odd that in a movie called The Old Man with a Gun, you only see the gun twice, uh, and and not <laughs> it's like brilliant, the, brilliant. I tell you, it really leans into the old man half of the title. Yeah, the old man is really doing the heavy lifting of that title. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The, well, let's talk about the ending. I mean, the ending is kind of a tragedy. Oh, we, we got to talk about how amazing that montage was of the oh, of the prison breaks oh yeah where uh, that, you used like old old redford footage too it, it, like that i was just like wow that is impressive filming like he's telling a whole story a whole like film's worth of story in one shot and he does yeah. it like eight times in a row or however many shots there are i, I thought yeah, that was it, just incredible filmmaking right there um, yeah, and it does feel like, oh, that's the much more interesting movie. <laughs> those, <laughs> yeah. those 14 movies right there seem pretty interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, my favorite scene in the whole movie is um, the scene in the store where he tries to get her to steal the bracelet with him. Yeah, that was a great, and she, great moment. She's like, oh, this is fun and silly, and, and, then, just, and then realizes, oh, no, he's seriously going to steal this, <laughs> and says no. Yeah, I just thought that was so so lovely the way that all played out, and there's no dialogue. It just all is them interacting with. It. I mean, th- their chemistry is exquisite too. I mean, the mm-hmm. the scene just at the diner where they first are talking, and he's tells her the truth, and she doesn't believe it. And just all of the interplay between them is so. You just watch great actors act forever. It's amazing. I I love the scene, the confrontation between Casey Affleck and. And Robert Redford in the in the bathroom hallway. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so it's just like can't believe it's happening. When, yeah, I can't believe it's happening. First of all, like, dude, you 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 have taken your boldness too far now, Forrest. You know, and then of yeah. course it proves to be true. I, I mean, him getting caught was not directly connected with that. I'm curious, like, why did Casey Affleck just like 
apprehend him and like cuff him right there. That was weird right. to me. But uh, anyway, he ended yeah. up getting caught anyway. But it just was a great moment. I, I gasped when Casey Affleck was like, I think I know what I'm doing for us. You know, like he knows who he is. And I just like, that is a pretty badass moment. I mean, know? nothing against Casey Affleck, but it's literally the only scene in the movie where he feels alive. <laughs> he, and maybe where, that's that where that character feels alive, you're saying. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's the Either idea of this character, this 40-something guy who he feels, I guess, a little dead inside. And meanwhile, somebody twice his age is just like loving life. And that was very, <laughs> you know, that that dichotomy is there on purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we really understood why that was happening, though, for him, other than he was turning 40. I, I mean, clearly it's intentional and kudos yeah, yeah, yeah. to the athlete, but uh, I don't know. I was struck in this movie like there's something I don't think about enough, and, and that is how small day player actors can have a huge impact on a movie. And this was one of those movies where that occurred to me. You know, I watched watching Casey Affleck sort of mope his way through this part, uh, and I get it. He's doing something specific. Good on him. He was fine. But there's a scene with uh, this, this actor named Robert Longstreet who plays the the uh lawyer uh that that mm. red redford's lawyer in the in the movie and he has he probably worked a day maybe two tops uh on this entire movie and he has one scene and he just it, he delivers this you know he reveals to casey affleck's character all the information about who this guy was and what he's done and how he's broken out 14 times and how you know like you know, if I ever met him, I'd, I'd tell my kids about it. I thought I'd maybe write a book about it. Like, there's a there's a magic to him retelling this. And this is a dude that probably walked in to a set, maybe had a couple of days, uh, and and was done. And he just really added so much texture and delivered what is basically exposition, but did it. And it, it it felt alive. It felt real. It felt great. And and I don't. I don't take enough time on the show to sort of highlight people that do that. And I thought it was a great juxtaposition between him and, and Affleck. I was like, it's fine what he's doing, but it's just nothing special. And here's you know a guy with very little to work with who did, I think, something special. I agree with you. He totally nailed it. Uh, he also plays Mr. Dudley in the Haunting of Hill House TV series. I don't, I, I don't know who that character is, but mm-hmm. he seems to have been in many episodes. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Jeff. Like, it's worth recognizing, kind of, yeah, the the the, the day actors like that, um, who just are, are do the thankless jobs, and also that character, his narration is in the trailer, right? Like, right. They, they decided that that performance was so good, they're going to use that line delivery to be to frame the trailer. Um, so I thought that was a, a really effective scene. Let's talk about the last scene in the movie, guys. I thought it was pretty tragic, right? It's like this mm. guy can't, it can't, he cannot escape mm. his true nature. There's that moment, Sissy SpaceX, she like opens her eyes, she like realizes what's happening. Uh, I thought that was very effective too. Any thoughts on the, the final scene in this film? I mean, it's a take on get busy living or get busy dying, right? Right. Yeah. Right. You know, he's, uh, he, I, and, and that's why I pushed back on you earlier about, you know, uh, if he just doesn't care what people think anymore, I, I don't think it's he cares intensely, maybe not what other people think, but what he thinks. And he tries to live a life that's not authentic to him. And it 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 is hollow. And he has to he only feels alive by doing this thing. And I think I think that's kind of the thesis of the movie is mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, in its own weird, perverted way, do what you love, you know. Yeah. Even if you, yeah, 
Yeah. Even yeah. if it gets you back in prison. You know? <laughs> Even if it like at massive human cost to your life and relationships. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, – th- there's another aspect of how the film metaphor – like, or that this movie is about filmmaking, how that can uh, kick in there, you know? Yeah. Is that he's, he's going to keep going back to those banks. He's going to keep robbing those banks. He's going to keep making those movies as long as he can. As, as a great sailor once said, I am what I am. Mm. And it's not even uh, it's I don't even think it, it it's limited to robbing the banks. I think he loves breaking out of prison, too. I think yeah, the, yeah. like the, the fact that he didn't break there's that smash cut into a title card when she's like, stay put. And, and it goes, he did. You know, it, it, it feels like this massive compromise that he didn't break out of prison. Right. You know, he kept, he kept his demons at bay for as long as he could. And yeah. then he couldn't anymore. So. Right. Um, all right. Any other thoughts? Shall we wrap it up? All right, that's our episode. That's our review of The Old Man and the Gun. Um, hey, it's uh, it's been a few weeks since we've all been together, guys, uh, on Feels the podcast. Good. So and, good. Uh, good to be back. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation talking with you guys about these amazing films that we've had a chance to see. Uh, so, And thank you to our listeners for, for listening to this episode. If you've made it this far, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, uh, Devendra Hardor, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write it about tech at Engadget.com, but I'll be off there until like mid-November taking care of the baby. Jeff, how about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do a video game podcast called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Lots of fun discussion about Red Dead Redemption 2 this week. Uh, and also, I just want to thank everybody for being so su- supportive about Dave's plan to do limericks on the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, he needs that kind of support when he comes up with an idea as bold and as revolutionary as this. But I, I think we can, you know, we can all agree it is improve the show immensely and and kudos to dave for coming up with that that wholly original idea of his Mm, okay um you can sign up to receive newsletters from me at davechen.net slash letters and uh check out my youtube channel youtube.com slash dave chensky that's dave chen sky next week uh jeff canada and and i david chen will not be on the podcast probably um so <laughs> it's gonna be all Davindra, I think. Uh yes. and some and some awesome guests. So uh an awesome guest or two. So like uh that's assuming that Davindra is not uh too busy taking care of the kids. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's it's all a little bit up in the air, but um the film we'll be reviewing is Suspiria. So oh, yeah. check that out, it'll be out in limited release, and uh I think there'll probably be a lot to discuss. That's all for this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you next week.